this week on interviews heard every Wednesday from 8 to 9 p.m. on the Dominican.net radio and the Q95 FM radio station in Dominica. Indeed, we welcome all of our listeners tonight who are tuned in to us on the Nature Isle of Dominica, as well as to all of you who are spread out across the globe. Welcome to another edition of This Week in Interview. Our special guest tonight is Dr. Clinton Schillingford, uh, uh, immediate past president of the Dominica Academy of Arts and Sciences. Uh, Dr. Schillingford is an agricultural scientist, uh, retired as a scientist at DuPont Labs, but a man with extensive involvement in Dominica's agriculture. And we thought it would be good to have Dr. Schillingford tonight to share his experiences, firstly, as an individual working in Dominica and working on the agriculture sector, as well as his views on Dominica and the way forward. So we're certainly looking forward tonight to having a really good discussion with Dr. Schillingford. He has already joined us, and let us say good night. I'm Dr. Schillingford, and welcome. Yes, Thompson, um, good night to you and your listeners, and uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to be able to discuss some of the matters that are of concern issues uh, for development of our country and for development of our Dominican people. Well, it's certainly great to have you, I'm Dr. Schellenfeld. We've worked very closely over the past 10 years or so, and, and it's really my pleasure to have you with us tonight um, on this very important discussion as we continue to bring topics of interest to the Dominican people via this, this medium. But before we, we, we talk about current day, Dominica, Dr. Schellingford, I would just like you to, to give our listeners a sense as to you, the person you are, and, and something about growing up in Dominica. Um, you, you went to the Dominica Grammar School, and I, and I read somewhere that you were, in fact, a very avid um, sports, sports person. You played cricket, football, and represented your school and Dominica as well? That, that is correct, uh, uh, Thompson, to be perfectly uh, straightforward about it. At the time when you entered the Dominica Grammar School, there was a, a very high level of discipline and, and commitment uh, for the development of not only your mind, but your body. And in fact, the motto of the grammar school was in the Latin, men sana in corpore sano, meaning a sound mind in a sound body. And that particular uh, motto was taken very literally. And uh, as a consequence of that, um, not only were we exposed to um, very high academic standards, but also very high performance in sport. And um, the uh, sense at the time was for all students, because the grammar school at the time that I was there between 50 and 1955, it was a boys' school, and um, the sports were compulsory. Every boy in the grammar school at that time was to participate in sporting activity. We had the uh, the system of houses. Um, all the Schillingfords were in Skinner House, and there was Benedict Joseph House and uh, and Dorbini House. And the purpose of this uh, division into the housing system was to have the uh, specific groups as um, competitive groupings. So Skinner. Uh, would play cricket against uh, Benedict Joseph House, Benedict Joseph against uh, Dorbini House. And um, in athletics, every year, uh, we had a similar uh, competitive arrangement. Uh, the grammar school athletic uh, competition annually was a big event in, in Dominica. Uh, it wasn't just the parents. It was one of the major events for the island. And a lot of people came to see and the grammar school boys compete in in track and field, um, the sprints, the long distance races, the pole vault, the high jump, uh, the long jump, uh, the throw in the cricket ball. Uh, in fact, um, I was uh, in the, in the later part of my time in the grammar school uh, between Raglan Revere uh, and myself. We were very very competitive. And I was Victor Ludoran, so-called, in the Latin again, Victor of the Games in 1954. 
for the pole vault and the high jump and they threw in the cricket ball. In fact, my, my record of throwing that cricket ball for 108 yards stayed on the books for quite a long time. Now, now, Clinton, this is very interesting. I've never, I never actually heard of this one before. Um, what did that involve? I mean, can you explain? Was it something like throwing the discus, or did, did you just throw it like you're throwing a fruit or keeper? How was that done? Well, the the the, the, the throwing the cricket ball uh, event uh, at the at the Windsor Park, uh, you you threw. Uh, uh, I say this because this was an advantage for me. You threw from the from the river end in the Windsor Park, and you were to throw the ball as far as you could. Uh, that was the purpose of the of the of the event. So in in my particular case, uh, I I kind of uh, timed my throw when there was a, a slight gust of wind from my back, and so. The ball floated for a very long time on on the air and uh, landed 108 yards. It was quite quite a throw. Um, it was a very popular event, and that uh, we had we had throw in the cricket ball uh, every year, every year at the at the Windsor Park. Of course, when we went to the new grammar school, and then I was uh, then sportsmaster, we continued the annual athletic competition at our own sports field uh, behind the technical wing. At that time. Uh, we had the, we had all the events. We had the high jump. We had the sprints. We had the pole vault. Uh, you know, at that time we also had the javelin because that had also entered the competition, and and um, you know it was it was it was quite a, quite a show, not only for the uh, the performance of the boys and the prizes and the awards and all of that. So we had in, in a way two two kinds of awards. We had awards for sports, but we also had awards for academic performance on speech night. There was a speech night every year, and on the speech night, the headmaster of the grammar school would give prizes to the um, boys who performed at a high level in the literature, in the arts, in mathematics, in science, and so on. That's that's what what happened to to provide the motivation and the incentive and to establish standards of performance at the grammar school at that time. That sounds like a, a really exciting, exciting time. And, and but not actually for you, you you went to the grammar school, very much involved in sports and so on. Then you went on to study in Jamaica, but you returned to Dominica to serve in the grammar school, not only as sports master but also as a science teacher as well. I, I gather. Yes, that is that is correct. Um, when you you did your higher school certificate at the Dominica Grammar School. You were then in a, in a in a in a stage of your life to go on directly uh, into the the first year uh, university uh, in in Jamaica, and so I got a scholarship to go to UWI um, in 1957. There were several of our Dominican uh, um, uh, students there, of course, at the time. Uh, you know, there was Dr. Grell who was there doing medicine, Dr. Revere doing medicine, uh, Dr. Ralph St. Louis, uh, Dr. Sidney Jones. We had uh, Dr. Sorendo, of course, was was there as well. And and when when I got there, we we then were also in a in a similar kind of a, a competitive situation because I resided in Chancellor Hall, which at the time we called the Hall of Lions, and we were in competition with the other hall of of, of male students. Taylor Hall, and uh, Dr. Sorendo, of course, was in Taylor Hall, and I was in Chancellor Hall. And so we had athletic competitions, we had uh, competitions in, in swimming, uh, we had competitions in tennis, both te table tennis and lawn tennis, and of course the highlight of the year was the football or soccer uh, competition uh, towards the, 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 uh, the summer holidays. And um, uh, I, I remember the, the, the big event for us was uh, when um, we, we had the old, what was called the Gibraltar Hall Bell. This is, a, the, the, as you, you may know, the University of the West Indies campus at Mona was previously uh, a military um, residential area, barracks, called Gibraltar Hall. And, and the old soldiers during the, the, uh, the Second World War, they, they, were, they were stationed there. So there was a bell, and the Chancellor Hall students 
captured this bell, and it was an emblem of our, shall we say, our supremacy in sport. And always the fellows in Taylor Hall would be trying one stunt or another to try to uh, defeat uh, Chancellor Hall, especially in the major soccer match uh, uh, towards the end of the uh, the semester and towards the, the summer holidays. In fact, one year, what they what they tried to do was to um, we we had our our, our football boots. Um, uh, you know, kind of prepared uh, outside the hall, and the guys came and they and they uh, they stole the football boots. So we we would <laughs> we would not have been we would not have had our football boots to go and 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 play against them. Of course, that that little stunt didn't work because we were able to get substitute boots very quickly, and we were on the field. And of course, naturally, uh, Taylor all lost again. You know, Dr. Schillingford, in, in listening to you, uh, you, you know, it is truly amazing because here it is, you're describing a situation where there was a time in Dominica where you had this camaraderie, this this fierce competition, you know, this, this sense of belonging, and you had all of these students at the grammar school in good competition. So it must hurt you, it must pain you a great deal when you see where the grammar school is today and the kinds of incidents that we have. And I, I'm just curious as to... Uh, as to your views on that particular situation now, contrasting what was then and even up to the 70s and, and possibly 80s to what you see happening in the schools now with, with, with um, students actually hurting their teachers. Well, uh, that, that kind of um, uh, incident, as was reported, uh, about a student uh, attacking uh, a member of, of the staff, that was just completely uh, unheard of. And, and you know, the, the grammar school as an institution was the place from which a very large percentage of our leaders emerged. Um, and in every uh, field you can imagine, uh, most of the engineers, most of the doctors, most of the lawyers, uh, and even those persons who were highly skilled and highly trained, uh, who came out of that institution, also went and, if you like, uh, made impact internationally. Uh, you mean you, you have people like uh, uh, Philip Potter, uh, you have uh, Emil George, uh, a very prominent attorney in uh, in Jamaica. Uh, you know, uh, you 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 have people like that who left. Um, the country and 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 built up uh, careers internationally and brought not only pride to the institution where they had their foundation, but also brought pride to to the country and are still doing so. Uh, so uh, the Dominican Grammar School, uh, you know, we we have to regard it as that place where uh, foundations in academics, foundations in intellect, foundations in discipline, uh, those foundations were built there. And it is unfortunate that we are hearing today reports of the degradation of the institution and the kinds of events that do not reflect uh, properly on the on the former uh, image and glory of that institution. It, it sadness us naturally that such could happen, but uh, uh, there is still hope and expectation that the the former glory and reputation of the institution can be restored. Uh, but it is going to require a combination of factors. It's going to require uh, action by our government, and more particularly the Ministry of Education is going to require um, a solid faculty, uh, people who uh, are going to be able to set the pace and the example for the students as we were able to do before, and the question of establishment and setting of standards that are to be met. Because, uh, Thompson, I have to tell you and the listeners, quite frankly, I, I am not one who is inclined to look at softening of standards just to allow uh, students to get through. Uh, we, we, have to, we have to establish the standards at a point, and the students have to reach to get up to that standard. 
we do not wish and do not want to take the standards down for them to be able to get over the loop. It is, generally speaking, not a good idea. It's not a good idea for the students not to be challenged to the level of their talent and their intellect. That has to be challenged at a very, very high level because it is the thing, you see, that makes for a quality of professional, a quality of citizen, a quality of leader. And if we ever wanted quality in the standards, conduct, and behavior and performance of our citizenry, this is it. This is the time. Because we are going to be confronted uh, as a nation in this global environment with many, many challenges. And I've said previously uh, on, on, on radio programs and television that in the end, you know, for me, it is a collective brain power of our citizens that is going to bring progress and the quality of life to our people. Yes, if we do not have... I agree with you on that. And, and I was thinking as well, to what extent are the parents to be blamed for that? For, for example, when, when I taught at the academy, in the 1980s, I taught for about three years, there was a great level of involvement of the parents. I knew practically every parent of every child in the school because there's a lot of interaction. They would, they would come out to, to visit. They would be involved. You know, there was a, that keen interest of the parents. I'm wondering how much of the absence of that is to be blamed, where you find that the kid is more or less on his own. There is not that... that, that tight um, link between the parents. There is still the PTA, but it's not as effective as it used to be. How much of that do you think is responsible for the decline that we are seeing, that we are seeing today? Well, Thompson, I think, you know, with young people growing up, it is not possible, in my view, to have them attain their best if there is not a partnership between the parents, the family, and the institution of learning. There has to be a very close link. When I went to the grammar school in 1950, the headmaster at the time was a gentleman called Victor Archer. Archer, if a student was not performing to standard, Archer was known to order the parents to come to the school, you know. They were ordered to come to the school and there was a conference. The student, the parents and Archer, to straighten whatever the issue was at that time. And in fact, Archer was so determined that what he called his boys would perform to the best of their ability. At a certain point, the gentleman set a curfew, nine o'clock in the evening, all grammar school boys off the streets of Roseau. That's how it was. And he himself, he had a huge dog, and the gentleman would go walking all over the streets of Roseau. I can tell you myself, I mean, kind of in, 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 a, in a jocular way, I know of guys who were gathered, for example, under a lamppost, and they would be there, you know, talking and getting on, and Archie would be coming around the corner, and all you would hear is, Archie! And that the the area around the lamppost would be vacated in two seconds, because guys didn't want, you know, to be to be caught by Archer because the guy was serious. You know, I mean, he was he was a great teacher in the sciences, and built up the science laboratory at the grammar school, which of course I followed and continued to to build into the new grammar school. But he he was he was a very serious guy, and he set a standard, and even today. When students of that Dominican grammar school gather at any place, it is not unusual for stories to be circulated about the time when they were in grammar school and Victor Asher was the headmaster. He went and he built the cadet corps. He built the labs. He built the literature. All those things, including the question of performance in sport. Dominica Grammar School was participating in the first division in soccer, 
first division in cricket. And I'm not going to mention the particular student, but there was an incident in which a very prominent lawyer today playing cricket for the grammar school against another team. And because he thought he had an issue with Archer, the gentleman allowed himself to be bowled for ducks. <laughs> that is funny. Archer was, Archer was sitting in the pavilion when he observed that. And I can tell you, that gentleman, he had some canings for a good few days in the mornings. But was, 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 Archer, was Archer Dominican or was he... Was he no, a... he, was, he was St. Lucian. St. Lucian, okay. He was St. Lucian, but he received a, a, a significant part of his education in the sciences in Canada. And um, when he came to the Dominican Grammar School... The guy, uh, well, you know, he had a kind of uh, a stature and a presence. I mean, you know, even when he needed uh, equipment for the cadet corps, uh, Archer would leave the grammar school. He never had a car or anything like that. And he would walk to the administrator uh, at the time because we were still in the colonial period. And uh, you, you could be guaranteed that the next minute, um, there would be a significant order to uh, the crown agents in in Britain for the boots and the and the caps and the and the uniforms and the whole thing. You know, everything was supplied. We had all the the equipment we needed for sports. We had all the bats and the pads. We were fully equipped. The labs were fully equipped. You know, the microscopes and everything. You know, it was it was a tremendous time uh, to be in an institution of that sort, and and you were encouraged. To, to, to be a best. And those fellows, you know, who wanted to kind of uh, stray up the straight and narrow from the Mensana and Corporate Sano, uh, uh, you know, he had his tumbling whips, and that's all I can say about that. Okay, um, in case you're just joining us, we are talking there to Dr. Clayton Schellingford. We are discussing Dominica, we are discussing days gone by, as well as what's going on in the country currently. Later on in the program, we'll give you an opportunity to. Uh, call us here if you'd like to join the conversation and the number would be 442-1214 442-1214 if you're calling from Dominica if you're calling overseas the number 301-327-6154 301-327-6154 and you can also reach us on email and the email address is simply radio radio at the dominican.net radio at the dominican with an n dot net dominican.net uh Dr. let's let's kind of switch gears there a bit and 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 let's talk a little bit about agriculture because a a, a, a significant part of your of your life was spent working as an agriculturist working in agriculture and you were recounting to me some time ago about your involvement in the agriculture sector and the role that you played and and in fact there's an inst- a story i would like you to to tell our, our listeners about you you spoke about being summoned by prime minister eugenia charles we we do have uh okay let's let's hold this for let's take this this query there hello good, good evening caller okay we missed this call um clayton someone was trying to reach you but i'm sure they will try again um Let's let's talk a little, a little bit about this because you you mentioned the fact that you mentioned the fact that the at the height of the banana industry in Dominica you were summoned by Dame Eugenia Charles to perform a very important function within the banana sector. And I'm not sure that many Dominicans know about this. Can you can you just elaborate on this for us? Well, you, you know, Thompson, um, I was already very deeply involved in the banana business as a consequence of my role as, uh, first of all, senior plant pathologist in the Jamaica Banana Board, and then subsequently I became director of research um, of that same um, organization. The Jamaican experience uh, broadened my um, involvement and knowledge not only of the production practices but also of the uh, quality control and the the marketing and, and so on and I, I I made multiple trips to to the United Kingdom at the time to see how uh, the bananas in Jamaica were presented 
uh, to the customers, to the supermarkets. And we had a very, very tight in Jamaica quality control procedure. Um, we helped the farmers uh, in their in their field practices. In fact, um, I, I sent the research officers into the field and they would um, deal in conversation with the farmers on the on the on the quality requirements and would give them a prescription just like a, a medical doctor would do uh, you diagnose the, the the farmer had the nematode problem and then you gave him a prescription of what he should do what he should use to treat how frequently he should make the application and and so on and there would be follow up and that, that made a tremendous difference to the manner in which the farmers would operate because like everything else in agriculture, there is a very heavy dose of science and technology that goes into the production um, um, uh, arrangements. And then, of course, the post-harvest, you harvest bananas, they must be properly packaged, they must be, they must be clean, they must be of very high quality by the time they get into the marketplace and they are ripened by the, as in, as in our case in Jamaica, it was Jamaica banana producers and the fives in Dominica and the Windward Islands, of course. It was geese. Now, by the time um, we began to see inroads into the United Kingdom market by the Latin American producers, it, did, it then became evident, certainly to uh, Ms. Ms. Charles, then uh, our, our Prime Minister, that there was an impending threat to the industry, and what were we going to do about it? So I came to Dominica, first of all, and sat with the people at the time in the Dominica Banana Growers Association, and subsequently I went to England to talk to Geist, and I established a program for the industry here at that time. And the program was essentially a transfer of the uh, the principles that we had established in Jamaica. That is, the best production practices, quality control, uh, export. <clears throat> and in fact, I also advised, as I had done in Jamaica over a period of time, that we should put someone on the ships themselves go into the United Kingdom because there was an issue, you see, of this quality thing. And that issue was when there was a deterioration in quality at the at arrival in the UK, was it entirely a cause by the the, um, the the production or was it a cause, for example, in collapse of refrigeration on the ship? It was necessary to be sure to diagnose precisely where the fault was but the tendency at the time was for these industries, if there was a quality lapse, to say it was always in the production. Well, I, of course, I never believed that because from my background in research and, and, and quality control, I knew that the, that the fault could be as well on the ship or the fault could be in the ripening rooms in England. But Dr. Shilinfra, so just, just to cut you there, uh, on the question of quality control, I have heard many, many reports, and I, I, I would like, uh, from your own point of view, if that if you heard it or saw it, I was told that, that, that farmers would, in fact, put stones into the banana boxes. Uh, is that true, or is that just, just me? It is, it, is, it is true. I, I wouldn't want to say that it was very widespread, but, uh, you know, like I said earlier, uh, Thompson, there, there, was, there was some fault on both sides. There was fault on the, the producers uh, and, the, and the institution that was responsible for regulating the industry here, and there was fault as well on the side of the uh, so-called uh, shipping agent. But when uh, you I spoke, but Dr. Shillingford, when you spoke to Geese about that, did they raise this as a as a issue of concern? Oh yes. Well, they they they, they knew. They knew that I knew what was going on. And therefore, there was no possibility of kind of pulling the wool over my eyes. In fact, you know what was what was even uh, highly significant at the time when um, uh, Ashworth Elwin, who was then High Commissioner uh, uh, for Dominica in in the United Kingdom, I I asked him to accompany me to on the trip to uh, 
the the deep depot where uh, Gist was, uh, you know, handling uh, the Windward Islands bananas. And um, uh, the, oh, they treated us royally. Uh, when we got to the train station, um, a gentleman, uh, chauffeur, a cap and all that, you know, uh, in a Rolls Royce. And and we were we were driven to uh, I don't remember the the, the actual station now it will probably come to me later. And when we approached the the gate of this facility, there was a big sign saying "Welcome to Dr. Schillingford and the High Commissioner." <laughs> and the Dominican flag the Dominican flag was flying very prominently on on, In- on a pole. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I mean, I, I I knew as soon as I I saw these kinds of things that the intention obviously was to treat us royally. And, you know, uh, uh, Thompson, back then, uh, I don't want to make this sound as if I'm being overcritical, but back then there was a tendency for geese to be uh, kind of patronizing, I would have to say. And and, and, and they, they, they would take the, the approach uh, as, as our marketing agents that in the contractual arrangements that they were going to uh, set the pace, you know, they were going to make all the major decisions. And if anything went wrong, then it was the thing went wrong because the farmers, you see, uh, were not pulling, uh, pulling, uh, pulling themselves up and so on. But I, I, I knew differently, and I, I knew from, uh, you know, looking at the operations that there were many faults as well on the geese side, even in the right rooms. The right room is a very, very uh, controlled uh, environment. You have to be sure the temperatures are right, and you ripen bananas by pumping a certain amount of ethylene into the atmosphere of the green banana, and the ethylene then kicks the, the ripening into, into place. But you have to uh, be able to condition the ripening based on the market demand, because by playing the temperature up and down, you can slow the rate at which the bananas ripen based on the demand out there from the supermarkets. If the demand is high, for example, in the summer months, because a lot of people go out on picnics and so on, uh, then you have to accelerate the ripening to meet the supermarket demands. On the other hand, if you are in a low period, then you have to slow down. You see, because otherwise, if you don't control that very, very clearly, you are going to have a lot of wastage because if you write more than you actually have demand for. And the trouble at that time, uh, Tom, again, I, I have no idea why we ever constructed the contracts in this way. There was a thing called the Green Board Price. But what was the Green Board Price? The Green Board Price was he sells the bananas into the marketplace. He gets whatever amount for it. Then he takes out all his expenses. He takes out the freight he takes out the ripening charges. He takes out the distribution and transport charges. And whatever is left over is what is paid to the island producers. It was never, uh, how shall we say, a situation where the contract would determine as partners in an industry that the risk was shared. The risk was never shared. It was always the farmers at this end who, when the market was not uh, in the best shape, that suffered the consequences of that. And then that put pressure now on the governments of the day to maintain the price. So there was a lot of kind of propping up the price to the farmer and subsidies and, and all of that, even when the market did not justify that the price should be propped up. And as a consequence, you know, the DBG and these organizations, you know, they, they lost money, they were in debt, they could not uh, maintain the quality of service to the farmers and all that. But all of that flowed, in my opinion, flowed directly from the, the conditions of the contract. Okay, Clinton, I think we have a caller on the line. Good evening, yes. caller. Yes, caller. Yes, uh, the program, and thank you for having Dr. Schillingford. Um, let, let me say that I went to grammar school in 1968, and all the activities that Dr. Schillingford spoke about were still existing. So um, the grammar school was an all-boys school, and we were already being trained to be leaders. But I would like to congratulate Dr. Schillingford for really standing up for Dominica. With all his training and experience, he is coming forward and advising Dominicans that there is hope for our country if we put the right policy in place. 
in terms of the banner industry, I spent a lot of years in that industry. I did uh, marketing in the UK and understand what was going on there. And that's the reason why we took a decision to purchase the Kiss Banner business, which is now making millions of dollars. Um, and the government is taking it away rather than investing back in industry to ensure that we have a banner industry. Banner is the most widely... Okay, call her, call her, hold on, hold on, hold yes. on. Because you, yes. you just made, you just mentioned something there I'm sure that our callers would like, and I personally would like uh, for the clarification on. You said that Dominicans purchased the guest part of, of the arrangement? Yes, Dominican government, while the United States Party was in office, mm -hmm. together with the other Winwood Islands, we purchased the guest marketing, shipping and marketing business. And um, that is now owned by the islands. And, and I said that's the reason why we purchased it because we want to ensure that we have a foothold in international trade. But but how but how is that working though? Because it seems to me that that the purchase came at the wrong time when the bananas were already in decline. And is that is that profitable? Well, it's profitable is making millions of dollars. The government of Dominica is maybe making about three or four, maybe five million dollars profit in in shares, in dividends from that business. So but how is this how is this money spent? Because it's not it's not I, I'm not saying it's been plowed back into the agriculture sector? Well, I'm telling you, the government is using it for, for, for general funds rather than invest, reinvesting in the agriculture sector. Okay, that's interesting. I never, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of this, and I'm can, sure can that I, the listeners make, who were not aware. Can I make an intervention here? Hi, Thompson? Yes, yes go ahead, please. The banana business is a good business, and the government of Dominica is getting dividends every year from Wigbeco, and they are not reinvesting in the industry. That's so, interesting. Um, that, so, call that is where... Yes, yes. I, I think Dr. Schillingford had a question for you, or you wanted to interact with him, Dr. Schillingford? No, I, 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 yes. I want, I want uh, to expand uh, some on what the, the caller has, has said. Uh, Thompson, I agree with you that in terms of our moving to, um, uh, shall we say, have more control on that industry that was essential, essential to the economies of the Windward Islands, we came in late with that deal with East and formed the Windward Islands Banana Development and Export Company. And the caller is correct. The, the difficulty that I think uh, got into this thing was not that uh, with our, our, our arrangements in the UK at the time, because the distribution of geese we, was acquired, and we, we had a management of, of, uh, of the geese of the Wibdeco operations in the UK. These management uh, positions were taken up now by Windward Islanders. You see, so now we had a higher level of control in the marketplace, our relations with, with, the, with the supermarkets, the, the question of pricing, which I, I referred to earlier on. You see, now we, we, we were in an entirely different position because we, 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 could, we could exercise uh, a great deal more uh, influence in, in how bananas were sold, the price at which they were sold, and it was not the old geese formula of the green boat price. The, the, tr the, trouble, the trouble with this thing was, by the time we got to that point, which was rather late in the industry, the competition from Latin America became very intense. You had WTO, the World uh, Trade, you know, trade uh, uh, situation was, was quite different. And the vacuum that had been created in the marketplace in, 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 in the UK in particular, that vacuum was filled very rapidly by the Latin American producers as they saw the opportunity. Now, I have to tell you, during that period, I was then employed by the DuPont Company, and I traveled all over the world as the development manager with 80% of my time devoted to marketing and developing the DuPont products for bananas. So I knew what was going on in Honduras. I knew Chiqueta Del Monte, Dole, and these companies. I saw how they were massing up their production to be able to drop uh, volume into the European marketplace and to cut price and all of that. I think that one of the difficulties was that as we were able to then get more and more revenue from our smaller volume, the caller is correct. That uh, thing should have come back to try to rebuild the industry, uh, but that didn't happen. In fact, 
instead of us getting those those benefits in terms of funds to come back to the islands to rebuild the industry, uh, Webeco then went out and looked for so-called cheap sources of bananas to make more profit. So they went to Dominican Republic, they went to Ecuador, they went to our competitors to supply, to, to fill their supply line in, into the marketplace and to meet their quotas that, that, they, that they had with various supermarkets and so on. I think that was not wise. It was not wise because whilst they were building their profits in the market, they were killing the production area. And we have not been able to um, recover from that. In fact, as you probably know, Jamaica is no longer in the export business of bananas. And they are focused now almost entirely on building a banana enterprise on the local market. And they are going into uh, byproducts and, you know, various uh, banana chips and, and banana flour and they have various juices that they make. Now, all of these things were things that we had developed whilst I was in the research department. We had a very extensive banana breeding program and all that. We came up with new varieties of bananas. All of those things, you see, were, 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 were lined up to rebuild the industry. And unfortunately, I have to say, uh, the government seemed not to have uh, uh, any significant control on, on Webdeco and and they, they went astray in their policies to build profit in, in the UK and to, and to kick back some of that profit uh, into the islands, as the caller mentioned. But that did not filter down to the production um, in, in the islands. Okay, in case you are just joining us, we are talking here to Dr. Clayton Schillingford, a prominent uh, agri-scientist um, who has been working in Dominica, worked in Dominica for several years, uh, recently, oh, not recently, but retired a couple of years ago from DuPont um, Corporation there in the United States. And in case you would like to join the conversation, we encourage you to do so. The number you can reach us at is 301-327-6154. That's 301-327-6154. In case you are calling from Dominica, the local number, 442-1214. That's 442-1214. And of course, you can always send us an email. The email to call or, or to send the, the to join the conversation is radio at the dominican.net. We'll take a, a very short break, uh, Dr. Schellingford, and we'll be right back with our discussion on Dominica and the other issues that are of relevance. We'll be right back in just a little bit. There'll be many mountains to cross And though you neglected, rejected, and ejected me Still it's only love I have There'll be many more roads to try There'll be many mountains to cross And though you neglected, rejected, and ejected me Still it's only love I have Said I'm not looking for your fortune, your fame, nor your glory Okay, we, we are back here with um, caller. Yes, we didn't call her. Sorry for, for calling back, but no, that's the, whole idea, the whole idea was to have a foot in international trade. So this shipping and marketing business, we already had the value of the license from European Union, which was millions of dollars. And we could also introduce our other crops through the same marketing system. But as I said, the government came in, they had no plans, no interest in agriculture, and they allowed that to drop. But the government is still ripping profits, and they are not giving back to the farmers and to agriculture. But, so, Kola, um, I'm glad you called it back, because I'm still not clear on this whole arrangement. You're saying that Dominicans or locals control the shipping rights or arrangements that was previously controlled by geese. Yeah, we, we own the ships. We own the ships and all the marketing distribution system in the UK is owned by the islands. 
it's owned by the islands. But but so yeah. so why why is it why is it that there is still difficulty to get to get your produce or the produce on those same ships up to well, England? It's just policy. It's, go it's government policy. That's the only problem. So it was it was purchased leadership. by the governments of the islands. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it was government policy and leadership. I mean that that that's a good foundation we have for developing our agriculture. But there's a policy to move away from agriculture, and for the last ten years, and that's the result of of what you're suffering today. But if if that is the case, and, and, and I'm sure you know that is the case, then why why are not these boats, for example, used to move products not necessarily to England, but to Saint Martin and to Barbados? Well, it's been used. It's not way. been used for development of all agriculture. It's been used to make profits for for the government. Wow. Dr. Chilipan, I'm, yeah. I'm curious to hear you on good. this. Uh, um, yeah, good. So, yeah, yeah. Why, why is it that there is difficulty? Okay, thank you very much, caller. Dr. Chilipan? Well, uh, Thompson, uh, the, the caller is making these points, and, and the points are very uh, very pertinent to the situation that we're faced with. I, I, I am here in Dominica, and even when I'm overseas, I listen to the radio programs when the farmers uh, are on Q95, and, and over a very, very long period of time, their, their comments and their, their emphasis and their appeal uh, to even our government has been, you know, we have to do something about agriculture, we have to restructure, we have to provide more technical and other assistance, financial and otherwise, to the farmers. Because agriculture has always been the uh, key um, engineer uh, for for development in 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 this in this country in in Dominica in particular, because this is where, of course, the the, the focus is. But the fact of the matter is, without proper planning and without uh, proper resourcing of the of the of the enterprise. Um, and the whole diversification idea, uh, it, it, it is going to be very, very difficult to get the industry up to a point. And I'm talking more broadly now about agriculture. I mean, Tom, you know yourself as an economist that when that, that whole banana thing began to, to come apart, there was tremendous pressure. Um, um, economically and quality of life wise to the people in rural areas. And even today, the levels of unemployment uh, in the rural areas in particular and poverty is, is very severe. And, and the question is, you know, how are we going to turn that thing around? And therefore, it seems to me that we need to have a, a, a very um, aggressive and well-organized plan for agriculture. It's not just infrastructure. It is what is going on as well at the field level. What kind of varieties do you want to grow? What about the distribution? What about developing the, the local market? I mean, we are in a situation now economically where, without my having any uh, uh, exact uh, uh, fix on the, on the statistics, we are importing a tremendous amount of food into the country, in many instances, food that we could have produced ourselves. I mean, the, the people who are in the agro-processing thing, Bello, I'm told, I don't have this as a matter of fact, but I'm told Bello is importing peppers to make the pepper sauce. And other people are importing carrots into, into the country. Now, if you, if you had a well-organized plan, as was uh, laid out, for example, in, in, in Arthur Martin's uh, in, uh, integrated development plan, you could then begin to see how you could build the diversified agriculture. You can then go into agro-processing. You can then have the agriculture background as a thing to feed into not only the, the well-being and health of the people, the schools and all of that, but that would then be a source to go into restaurants and all that, the tourist industry, the, the cruise ships that come, you know. There's a whole set of events, you know, in the ripple out of agriculture that could take place. Now, unfortunately, we didn't do it that way. And even today, I believe it is possible for us to regain some ground, but... We need to have, to the Ministry of Agriculture in particular, which I have to say the performance is not stellar, to, to have some kind of high-powered 
advisory group council to set policy to see what are the best crops for us to grow to go back to the question of standards for quality to go back to how to to process the products that we have i mean you hear a debate all the time among the the farmers who are growing um, citrus to oranges that there is a juicing facility down there down the coast uh, and 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 this thing is not operational so you know when you hear these kinds of things you have to ask yourself a question well where is the partnership between the private sector on the one hand the farming community on the other hand and the government when to bring those influences together to move agriculture forward you know i i drive a, i drive around this this country thompson and when i see what we are blessed with we have the water we have the forest we have the soil we have all of these things and then when you you look at those basic physical resources and where we are today as a country and where the economy is you have to ask yourself what is responsible for the disconnect between the capacity to do very well and the fact that we're not doing very well you you have to wonder about that yes certainly and and, and, and dr shillingford you know we are, we're quickly running out of time and i also wanted in talking about our resources and, and what we have i know as well that you that the dominic academy of arts and sciences recently got involved in a very unique project to try to yes. promote the production of fresh fish or fish farming on dominica can you tell us a little bit more about that well let me let me say quickly uh, uh, uh thompson what happened here uh, there was an investor norm macdonald he owned this operation down in uh, in Picard, and that was an aqua, aquacultural uh, enterprise to to um, produce uh, tilapia which is a very very popular fish as you know in the united states it's it's relatively uh, easy to culture and and we have production capacity in picard and the dominica academy of arts and sciences we were asked to take over the operation to manage it and to and to continue uh, to produce uh, tilapia for local consumption as well as to look at export uh, possibilities for that fish and we are moving to build the local market first of all and we have a number of distribution areas uh, we've gone to supermarkets and the hotels and so on and we're also looking to diversify the product um, to smoke and to and to can uh, um, you know as as we as we go along it's it's quite a challenge i believe it can be done but like 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 the other aspects that i discussed earlier on is going to require discipline and a very high level of commitment by those persons who are involved including getting support from the consumers in dominica on a local product because right now we're getting i'm not, I'm not sure how what volume it is but there's tilapia coming from china and there's tilapia coming from Jamaica. And we and have Jennifer, I'm told that the tilapia coming from, from China it is I mean it's beyond me that somebody would even import fish fish <laughs> from as far away as China. I mean fish is supposed to be eaten fresh and is you know, but that's that's a, a different point. The the point I, I, I wanted to come to though is what kind of reception are you getting from the local are people are people anxious to to get in and then to buy are the are the supermarkets where for example they're selling the chinese and the jamaican tilapia are they willing to take on the local tilapia well yes we we okay um I think we might have lost dr dr shillingford dr shillingford are you still with us all right, um, we seem to have lost Dr. Schillingford for a little while there. We'll take a short break and we'll try to restore our connection with him. Okay, Dr. Schillingford is back with us. Dr. Schillingford, we were talking about the acceptance of the tilapia in Dominica as we attempt to, to bring much-needed um, development or, of course, import substitution and create employment in this area of fresh fish farming. Dr. Shilipan? 
Yes, Domsa, I, I, I would wish um, Dominicans who are listening to uh, your program here to uh, recognize a, a couple of things. One, that um, this tilapia project, uh, we need all together to um, close ranks to make it work. And it will work, and it will be profitable, and it will be beneficial to the nation if we recognize that we must support our own local industry and we must support those things that are going to bring benefit to our people. Um, and uh, uh, that, that, that philosophy of assisting in local industry is, is, is particularly uh, critical because... Okay, we seem to have lost Dr. Schillingford again. Um, we'll try to, to reconnect them. We ha we're having some difficulties here, but we are talking to Dr. Dr. Clinton Schillingford and discussing a very important aspect, um, a project just undertaken by the Dominican Academy of Arts and Sciences where they're attempting to to grow fresh fish in Dominica and, and get acceptance in the local marketplace. He just informed us that there is, in fact, fish coming all the way from China and one wonders why it is that Dominica is importing fish. Why is it that Dominica is importing carrots? Dr. Schillingford, I was just lamenting the fact that we seem bent on, on importing things that we can grow and do ourselves. And the tilapia that you're providing is, of course, of a better quality and is also far cheaper. Yet we import, we import tilapia, we import carrots, we import all of these different things. Well, I, I, I hope, Thompson, that there will be a realization now, um, even if we did not realize it before, that unless we close ranks around our enterprises and we support the things that we do, uh, whether it is in the area of consuming what we grow or it is in the area of providing the necessary support, technical and financial to farmers and the fishermen and so on, all of those things, you see, have to come into a, 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 a planning arrangement that we can be sure that we have sufficient food security on the island, that we don't have to be spending all of our foreign exchange, you know, ordering uh, food from all over the world, including China. Look at where China is, for heaven's sakes. You know, what are we bringing <laughs> tilapia fish all the way from China? I mean, I, 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 I kind of uh, laugh about it, but I laugh about it kind of in a, a very ironic way. We, we shouldn't be doing that. And, and that goes for every other product that we have the capacity to produce. We should be looking to build our local industries to satisfy our own needs and begin to... Okay, um... We seem to be experiencing some more difficulties, but we just about run out of time. So I think it's just enough time for me to say a very special thanks to Dr. Schillingford for joining us tonight here on the full hour of this weekend interview. We'll be back on your radio on May the 2nd with another guest, another topic of interest to you, the listener. We encourage you to join us online at thedominican.net for further programming as we continue to keep you informed and entertained. Let me say a very special thanks again to our guest, Dr. Schillingford, and to our production staff here at the Dominican.net Radio. So we'll be joining you again next week, or rather not next week, but on the 2nd of May with another edition of This Week in Interview. So it's just left for me to say thank you to all of you. Thanks for joining us here. Thanks as well to the people at Q95 for allowing us to continue to do this, this broadcast simultaneously on Q95. And to our listeners, those of you who called in tonight, let me say a special thank you to you. Okay, so from me to you, is uh, I want to wish everyone a very good evening. And we'll see you again on this weekend interview on the 2nd of May. Have a good night and thank you for listening.